Welcome to the Lightning Round. Welcome, welcome. Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round Podcast. I am your host. It is week 38 of the 46th Quadrennial Hunger Games. Whoo! Let's get to it! So I got a couple things um, that I thought were were, were interesting. Um, the first one was um, I got an email from the Western Journal, and it was a, a commentary piece um, written by Isa Cox, um, and it turns out. That AOC is going to have a challenger next year. This man, a Republican, Hispanic, has been homeless, has worked as a bartender. (laughs) Excuse me. And turns out he's actually lived... In a socialist country, uh, he's li- he lived in Cuba. His family fled Cuba. He uh, he joined the reserves uh, in in 2015, and basically he's come out and said uh, that. Well, technically he did, okay. Let me take it back. His family fled Cuba to escape socialism. But he was born and raised in Queens, and uh, as a New Yorker, he said, I'm sick and tired of seeing AOC use our city as a launching pad for her socialist agenda. I am running for Congress in New York District 14 to stop her. I mean, you gotta, if anybody's going to go against her, it's going to be somebody that can unite the Latino community, especially those uh, in that area that have come from these hell holes. So I thought it was, uh, pretty interesting and I, I wish the guy the best of luck. So there's that we got, you know, hope and pray that she can get out of there. I mean, it'll never shut her up. There'll always be a TV camera willing to be pointed in her direction. But um, it, it is definitely something worth watching. Um, he's basically said, <laughs> quote, and this is the article, I've never thought of myself as a victim or blamed systemic racism for my problems. I worked hard and I never gave up. He joined the National Guard in 2015 because... He said he always wanted to do more for his country. I am proof that opportunity exists for anyone in this country, that America is worth fighting for, that our values and our constitutional rights set us apart from the rest of the world. But my opponent, AOC, is doing everything she can to do to undo what countless Americans have died to preserve. Woo! He came at her with scorched earth, baby. Love it. Another thing that I wanted to talk about today was um, was homeschooling. Um, because last week, I mentioned that the left and their politicization of the education system, where they're trying to convince everybody and their brother that the United States is a systemically racist country, uh, we have tried to whitewash history by not acknowledging... Uh, the plight of slavery dating all the way back to uh, pre-Constitution days, 
And, you know, as a guy that has what I think I'm like four classes short of a bachelor's degree in history, um, I actually have a degree in English. Uh, specializing in technical communications. So I'm a BA, um, business analyst. But I've always loved history. I think history definitely should inform our decisions for uh, the current climate and for future endeavors. But I have always advocated for the complete factual telling of our history, uh, not just the United States history, but global history, whether that be African or European or Asian, uh, Eurasia, all of it. And, and as part of that, I, I find it ironic that the people that are advocating like the 1619 Project and, and wanting to teach all of this nonsense that America is racist and it's racist to its core. You know what they leave out? They leave out the fact that some of the slaves that came to the United States were sold to Europeans by black slavers. So you had Africans enslaving other, other tribes, rival tribes, um, enemy tribes, whatever you want to call it. They would go in... And they would capture these men and women from other tribes, haul them to the coast, and then sell them to Europeans as slaves. But they don't want to talk about that because that would be a problem. Do you understand that? They don't want to talk about that because it goes against their narrative that only white people are racist. Let me tell you something. I have experienced racism. I'm not kidding. I went to college, I was 22, 23 years old, I went to a four-year institution, and I was going to play uh, soccer and lacrosse, or at least I was being afforded the opportunity to try out for those teams. And they put me in the all-male jock dorm, uh, because technically I was classified as a freshman, even though I had done a bunch of classes in night school. But that's neither here nor there. My roommate was the starting tailback on the football team. He was my height at five foot eleven. He was my weight, but his weight was proportioned differently. I was coming from a construction site. He was coming from a football field. Uh, in layman's terms, that boy was built like a brick shit house. He was stout. And he came from the projects in Charlotte. He had a severe distrust of the white man. He had a severe distrust of cops, particularly Charlotte Metropolitan PD. I was one of five white guys on the entire hall on the third floor. And all the other, the other four were, uh, were, were football players as well. And... My roommate took one look at me and he said, Oh man, I knew they were going to give me a cracker. <laughs> I was too naive to know at the time that I was actually being insulted because that's actually a rather derogatory term. And when they say the word cracker, they're talking about the dude riding on horseback through the fields cracking the whip. That's a cracker. And over the course of that semester, I was called things like narc. Cue ball, um, Johnny Depp, Jump Street, Five O. Um, I was called all kinds of stuff, and and we actually became, uh, I wouldn't call us friends per se, but we we were able to have a dialogue, and we were in their room one night, you know, doing what college students do. I'm no saint, and. I heard one guy come in and address the other guy. He's like, hey, what's up, my... And then dropped the N-word. And I, my eyes got big as saucers, and I was like, no, wait a minute. Y'all can call each other that, but if I say it, I'm going to get a beating. And they were like, yeah, well, 
that man didn't oppress me for 200 years. I said, well, I didn't oppress you either. I'm German. My family came to this country after the Civil War and moved to Ohio, which was a free state. So I am not culpable for any of this crap ancestry-wise because we came to the country after the Civil War and we left Germany before World War I and World War II. So you can't blame me for Nazis, you can't blame me for slavery. I'm winning! But no, I'm not. Because I'm being told, or, or these people are being told that because of the color of my skin, I am automatically their oppressor. Which I find to be total crap. But anyway, I found an article, it was, it was about homeschooling. And, um, and the reason I got onto this topic is because of, uh, uh, just the, the left has created their own problems when it comes to these parents showing up at board meetings and questioning the manner in which they're teaching their children. It's particularly the lessons that are being taught and to a lesser degree, who's teaching it like a drag queen. So I mentioned some of this last week. So I thought I'd dig around and see what else I could find in this education vein. And one of the things that I found was that um, the rates for homeschooling have gone up since the left shut down the country and shut down states and shut down schools, shut down world trade, shut down progress. They basically canceled the planet to get rid of Donald J. Trump. If you don't believe me, go look it up. They did. And they're not denying it. They went scorched earth to try and get rid of that guy because he stood in their way of open borders and global uh, domination. They did. They absolutely did. But anyway, I thought it would be interesting to look at the homeschooling rates. So, from the time they shut down the country in March of 2020 until school was set to resume in roughly September of 2020, the rate with which these different uh, ethnic groups, Hispanic, Black, Asian, and other, all of the rates for homeschooling went up. So in March of 2020, the rate of Hispanics that were doing homeschooling was 6.2%. By the time 16 weeks rolled around, school was coming back around at the end of the summer. So you're talking September time frame. The rate of incidents among homeschooled Hispanics went up to 12.1%, roughly 6%. The rate went up for whites, 3%. It went up for blacks, 13%. It went up for Asians, 3% and others it went up 5%. That many people were paying attention during the remainder of the spring semester in 2020, didn't like what they were hearing, and because they were helping their children like a responsible parent, they realized several things. One, it did not really appreciate what was being taught, they didn't like the manner in which it was being taught, and felt they could do it better. So they sent off for homeschooling um, documentation. And one of those parents, or I'm assuming it's a two-parent household, because you can't have one parent working in one parent, uh, you can't have a single family household, a single parent household, if you're doing homeschool. Because somebody's got to be working, I would assume, but I probably shouldn't do that. Maybe they were being paid to stay home because of COVID. And the government was just throwing money out. That's a possibility. That could have happened. But chances are that one of the parents stayed home, handled the schooling while the other one uh, went to work. Maybe that parent that was staying home was already a stay-at-home parent. Or maybe had been laid off. Um, I, I can't possibly go through all of the potential dynamics and scenarios. 
But I find it striking that 13% increase among blacks, 6% increase among Hispanics, 3% among whites and Asians. That's, that's telling. And I found an article, and it went so far as to break it down, not only by race, um, but also broke it down by state and broke it down by uh, metro area. So there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine states that saw a greater than 10% increase in homeschooling rates from during that same time frame. So roughly March, April to September, October. Uh, leading the way was Alaska, which I thought was interesting. I would have figured that they already had a lot of homeschooling just because it's so remote. But Alaska had a rate increase of 17.9%. Number two on that list was Florida. Large Hispanic population went up 13.1%. We're talking about a 16-week duration of when Survey A was done versus when Survey B was done. They even redid Survey B to clarify that homeschooling was not your kid doing distance learning through the local school district. It These rates are legit and they are speaking volumes. Uh, number three, no, I'm sorry, yes. Number three on the list was Vermont, went up 12.8%, followed by Oklahoma at 12.4%, and then number five was Mississippi at 11.6%. Vermont is basically all white. There's very few people of color living in Vermont. That's shocking. Oklahoma was 12.4%. That, you know, that's very rural. You know, that kind of makes sense. Um, and then we had a smattering. Um, well, no, I take that back. We had 11.6% in Mississippi. I think I said that one already. And then we had... Massachusetts, Montana, and Nevada with either 10.6 or 10.1% increase in homeschooling. That's incredible. Some of these states I would not have picked um, as, as being that, that great of an increase. Um, but it was. And then the top five for Metro... Uh, metropolitan statistical areas. So these are like really large school districts. So leading the way was Detroit. Detroit saw a 12% increase in homeschooling. Followed by Phoenix at 10.6%. New York, which includes New York, Newark, Jersey City. Um, they saw an 8.2% increase. Boston saw an eight-point increase, and Riverside, San Bernardino, Ontario, California saw a 7.3% increase. These are large school districts that just lost a large number of students, in theory, which will affect how much they're spending per student. I mean, yeah, the, the people, the parents that still live there, they have to continue to pay taxes, and some of those taxes are going to go to the school district. But now, instead of these schools being nearing capacity and school boards looking to build new schools, now the schools aren't quite as near capacity, so they can't build new schools. They can't increase their levies. Uh, they can't basically increase their taxes. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, and another thing that I found dealt with um, uh, Bill Bennett. Uh, Bill Bennett used to be, uh, he, he had a syndicated talk show, um, and he was the education secretary for um, uh, Reagan, and one of the things that he's done specifically to combat the 1619 Project is 
he's launching a series of interactive stories that will combine literacy and historical education in an attempt to counter the content of progressive ideology in the 1619 project. Um, basically, the, uh, the new initiative meets U.S. history standards and aims to reverse declining academic achievement among American students. He's partnered with uh, Dan Kunster, K-U-E-N-S-T-E-R, uh, and Dan is an Emmy Award-winning artist and a former Disney Animation Studios exec. Uh, they're producing the, uh, the this. Uh, they're producing the. Uh, no, 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 no. What is the name that they gave it? America's La America, the last best hope. So they're putting this up online, um, and they're utilizing the curriculum. Um, based off of Bill Bennett's best-selling history series. Um, okay, oh my, all right, let me say that again. They're basing the curriculum on Bennett's uh, best-selling history series, America, The Last Best Hope. Um, the new project is dubbed The Story of America and is the result of the combined effort between Bill Bennett, businessman and philanthropist Richard Collins, and Kathleen Leos, who served as Assistant Deputy Secretary and Director of the Office of English Language Acquisition in the U.S. Department of Education. So, teachers out there that are, that are teaching these um, history classes, if you will, uh, now they have a counterpoint to the more racist ideology presented in the 1619 Project, um, the creator of the 1619 Project, this uh, young lady, Nicole Hannah-Jones, she was speaking with Oregon educators and said, uh, quote, And when you're talking specifically about black Americans, so much of how our country would develop was based off of slavery and the anti-blackness that arose to really justify slavery. It influences the Declaration of Independence the original version of the Declaration actually talks about slavery and really blames slavery on the King of Britain. It influences our Constitution. It influences our Supreme Court, our legal system. So when we teach this as a separate history, we're actually not equipping students to understand the country in which we live. We are equipping students to understand a country that I guess some people would like to pretend that we have, but not the actual country. Okay, so that was a, that's a lot. And here's what, I'll, uh, here's what I'll say to that. You have yourself to blame, Miss Hannah Jones, because it's your peers on the left that have warped the education system in this country. You don't feel that there is adequate representation of African American history being taught. Well, the left has been in charge of the education system in this country for well over 40 years. That's on you. If you wanted the educators in this country, local school boards, state boards of education, uh, the U.S. Department of Education, to teach a more well-rounded view of American history then you should have been talking to them. But instead, you created this, basically, this 1619 project to more or less eh, poison half of the population against the other half. Because you're telling the half that you're speaking to, namely the African-American community, or the, the, the brown-skinned community, however you phrased it, um, you're poisoning them against the ones that are white, which, oh, by the way, none of them own slaves. And the people you're talking to have never been slaves. But you want them to keep going with this victim mentality and saying, well, I, you know, I, I can't get that job because of the white man. I can't get that education because of the white man. That is 
such a bunch of crap that it's not even funny because these schools in the education system, I'm talking higher ed, colleges, universities, master's programs, in order to combat what they felt was systemic racism, they started implementing quotas and said, of all the students being accepted, we're going to take X number of white students, Y number of black students, Z number of Asians, and so on and so forth. And then, that wasn't enough. The local school boards and, and for high school, middle school, elementary school, and state boards of education, they moved the goalpost because they said that to have everybody trying to meet the same goals, the same standards, that was racist too. So now you have school districts that aren't implementing critical thinking. They're simply giving kids credit for the class if they show up. Not if they can actually demonstrate the knowledge that was taught. You are the problem, Miss Hannah Jones. And I applaud Bill Beth Bennett for, for putting out some curriculum as a counterpoint to this, to this program. I said it just a few minutes ago. They should be teaching everything. The black eyes, the, the spots that are in the shadows. I mean, hell, we, we practically wiped out the Native American population two ways. One, we gave them blankets and clothing that were infested with smallpox because they'd never been exposed to it, and we killed a, a bunch of them that way. And then two, we sent hunters out into the plains and basically slaughtered the bison population across the United States, which was their primary food source. Native Americans aren't known for being a whole, you know, they're not a, they did fish if they were near bodies of water, and they moved their camps based on the seasons, but their primary source of meat was bison, because they were so plentiful. What did we do? We went and slaughtered them all. Teach that in your public schools. Don't teach how America's a systemically racist country, because it's not. And I said it in a couple episodes, I don't know, one of the first couple episodes maybe, I don't know. It, America's not a racist country, and I can tell you this, and I can prove this, because all of the redneck crackers with all of the rifles and the AR-15s and the scopes and the ability, the military training... We had a black president for eight years and nobody took a shot at him. No one. You had a lunatic jump the fence with a, with a knife. But nobody ever tried to shoot Obama. Nobody tried to assassinate Obama. If we're such a racist country, how come the crackers didn't try and shoot him? It's because it's not true. It's because it's some lame-ass narrative being used to try and divide us as a country. Because that's their agenda. They need division. So they sow discord. It's ridiculous. Anyway, that was supposed to be my happy news segment about homeschooling and Bill Bennett. <laughs> I told you, I got issues. This, this feckless administration is just, it's beyond the pale. Um, so let's take a break. It's been half an hour, roughly, and uh, I want to talk about H.R. 127 and a convention of the states. Uh, probably not going to get to a preparedness topic today. Damn it. I, I went against what I said I was going to do last week. All right, wait, wait, wait. We'll talk about H.R. 127 and the convention of the states uh, next week, because I, I did get some reading materials. Um, I, 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 I'm telling you, I'm on email lists like I have no idea but I got um, uh, the convention of the states basically I'm, I'm a huge supporter of it all right, all right we're, 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 take a break we'll be back in a minute and now we pause for some shameless self-promotion if you like the show and are curious as to how my mind works then pick up my five-part fictional series today 
In a nutshell, over the course of When Rome Stumbles, Hannibal is at the gates by the dawn's early light, colder weather, and a time for reckoning, I crashed the big ag and financial industries, unleashed some jihadists and an EMP, then we spent 20 years trying to evade a socialist dictator. All five parts are available in paperback and electronic formats. Parts 1 through 3 are in audio format, and parts 4 and 5 will be in audio format by the end of the year. Now back to the show. As I listen to that commercial, I actually uh, I need to update it, because part 4 is in audio format. Um, I'm waiting on part 5, so hopefully that'll be by the end of the year, but I doubt it. Um, and I did mention last week um, that my narrator is kind of giving me jabs about lagging sales. So if you're interested in, uh, in, in free copies of parts one through four in audio format, shoot me an email, uh, at DJK publishing house at gmail.com. And I will send you, uh, some codes that'll get you, uh, free copies of the first four parts. So there's that. All right. Um, Preparedness. Let's talk preparedness. Well, <clears throat> all right. So I got a couple things. One, um, uh, last week I was telling you about a friend of mine that um, you know he was working on his bug out stuff, and I said he needed to worry more about bugging in, um, and and having some form of a get home bag, um, and then we talked a little bit about. Um, having kind of a, a vehicle maintenance bin of sorts in his trunk. Um, so as, <laughs> as luck would have it, uh, my daughter was driving to, uh, her dance class last night and out of nowhere, her ABS light came on, her four wheel drive light came on, her check engine light and, uh, the slippery road light came on and for no reason she was just driving down a, a a dry paved road minding her own business and all these lights came on so now i'm cars in the shop it's a computer problem and uh so we dropped it off last night and so i called the guy today and i said well you know it sounds like a a, a computer problem sounds like we've got a bad bus or a bad fuse or a, you know a bad computer chip or something like that he says uh well i got a car that's been here for three months because they're waiting on a new computer for a jeep wrangler and it's out of stock and they can't get them guess where they are they're sitting on Buttigieg's boats out in the friggin harbor uh I read an interesting article about that um about Oh, just what a mess that is. Uh, more the more so now, but um, anyway, that's not preparedness. I'll save that for next week. Um, so I thought it would be fun to talk about um, livestock today, and uh, and this you can do some of these in uh, a suburban setting, but you can't get. Anything that makes noise, you pretty much can't get away with in a suburban or urban setting. Uh, so that means that rules out, you know, <laughs> and big and big things. So that rules out cows and goats and ducks and geese and chickens. They all make noise or they're incredibly large and people would lose their minds. So you could do something like rabbits. Um, you might be able to do some pigeons. Um Something like that. So anyway, uh, I did some digging in some of the websites that I've got, and it's kind of a um, kind of like a top ten of sorts. Um, several things that they want you to keep in track of, keep it keep track of, and and kind of be aware of. So uh, the first thing that you want to think about is um, whether or not you want. Uh, Male or female, and um, and what they uh, what they what they've sent me is saying that most farmers will tell you that male animals have little value other than serving as food. Oxen are really strong, geldings are temperamentally sound, and capones grow nice and big. But even here, there are limits. 
Female animals not only produce offspring, but may produce eggs or milk for their entire lifespans. When setting up your herd or flock, you will need only but a few male animals and as many female animals as you can support. Make sure the females are genetically sound and can mate. Only invest in exceptional quality male animals that are proven breeders. In all successive generations, keep only the best male animals. Eat the rest. <laughs> Barren females should be eaten, as well as females with poor mothering and nurturing instinct, instincts. There you go. So there's male or, your male-female hour. <laughs> um, they recommend a couple different types of fowl. Um, this person happens to espouse ducks. Uh, Khaki Campbell ducks, to be precise. And as part of that, and I, and I wrote about some of this in my book, and so the, the reason I'm trying to tie these together is so that uh, you'll, you'll understand. So if you take the Khaki Campbell duck as an example, what they wrote was um, you don't have to have a dam, meaning a dam to hold back water, but it will be better for your ducks. Dams also are great for irrigating your vegetable patch and keeping fish. If you can, create islands in the middle of your dams in the middle of your ponds and build shelters for your ducks on these islands. This will assist in keeping predators away from mothers raising small chicks. Plus, they can escape into the water if something does try to catch them. Khakis lay up to 300 eggs per year and are known to be great parents. Duck down is an excellent insulation, and the ducks can also be eaten. Another plus is that Ducks are not as destructive to gardens and vegetations as chickens. Ducks also like to eat slugs. Okay, so now you have a breed. Okay, so ducks. Great. But you need water. So what I brought up in um, Chapter 5, Major Disruptions... Uh, the land contouring swells and ponds section um, was that uh, I had a friend of mine uh, that he was a he had a, a podcast for a while and, and uh, his work life became too much and so his wife now runs an herbal business uh, out of their Idaho property but one of the things that he espoused was a concept called Hugel culture. It's kind of a German spelling, H-U-G-E-L-K-U-L-T-U-R. And basically what it is, is just mounds of dirt. Uh, and then you go in and you seed bomb it. Uh, so you could have you could have multiple mounds, say one of them you've seed bombed with uh, medicinal herbs. Uh, another one you've seed bombed with, uh, say, vine crops. Um and just let them sprawl and go all over the place. Another one you could just do with plain old vegetable crops, whatever. But, um, and I'm telling you that because what I'm about to read you. Uh, so what I wrote was, if you happen to own property with even the slightest grade, walk the land during and after a storm to see how and where water is moving across your acreage and or pooling. Then, using dirt, create swells to better channel the water toward a natural depression or pond if you have one. If no pond exists, but water pools there for a time after a storm, install a man-made pond and use the excavated dirt from the pond to create the swells. If you have more land available further downhill, install your pond overflow piping or even a decorative spillway so that any excess can fill a second pond utilizing a terraced concept. A simple shallow trench filled with rock connecting multiple ponds will capture sediment and the area around the spillway can be seeded with native grasses and flowering plants to attract pollinators. This mini ecosystem created by the plants and grasses in the spillway helps to clean and purify the water during transport as well. If you are serious about preparing for a major disruption, the concept of installing a pond or some form of water feature should seem very attractive for many reasons. The first reason is available water year-round. Granted, right now pause, 
Granted, it's open source, so you're going to have to boil it, but it's a water source, and it's something closer to your house than the nearest creek or stream or river. So where I live, I am in between two rivers. I have no, um, I have no worries about being flooded. Okay, I'm I'm much higher, much much higher than either of the two rivers. But each river lays eh, about a mile and a half in either direction, east or west. Um, so I'm not looking forward to having to hike to one of those two rivers to get water every day. That would suck. That's why I have been uh, working on water catchment systems. So I have rain barrels. Technically, I need to boil that too because any water collected off your roof, I don't care what the material is, shingle, uh, tin, metal, uh, whatever, if it came off your roof and went into your gutter, you have to boil it or you will get sick. Um, so if you have the land, you, you should seriously consider putting in some sort of pond. Um, but back to what I wrote. Uh, the first reason is available water year-round. The second is wildlife. If you have a stable source of water, the wildlife in your area will find it and they will utilize it. This will help supplement your food reserves and keep you and your family fed if you're able to harvest some of the wildlife. If the water feature is attractive enough and had abundant food either in the feature or in crops nearby, migratory birds like multiple species of duck and goose would frequent the area as they move north and south during the seasons. Another benefit to land contouring via swells is the gardening concept called Hugel culture. Instead of dumping or, or removing excavated dirt, you use that dirt to create swells and seed bomb it with grass seed. Um, or you could plant medicinal herbs, plant native grasses and plants to attract pollinators, sow the swells annually with vegetable seeds. Um, everything you do to prepare for major disruption must serve more than one purpose and benefit your family or a group of families in some way. Uh, the next section is about uh, open source water, um, and I did provide some, some a weight table in here, weight meaning W-E-I-G-H-T. So if you have a five-gallon bucket of water, you know, if I'm going to walk a mile and a half to go get water from an open source, which I would never do, uh, that one five-gallon bucket is going to weigh 41.7 pounds because... A gallon of water is 8.34 pounds. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not light. Now, just imagine walking around with, you know, gallons of water through the grocery store. By the time you get to the checkout line, you're already taxed. You're already saying, this sucks. So, um, but with open source stuff, you got to worry about bacteria, cholera, cryptosporidium, E. coli, guardia, heavy metals, pesticides, salmonella among other things. So um, I just wanted to tie those two things together so that you would understand that the livestock you choose has to be accounted for when it comes to their habitat. So if you're going to get ducks, you need a water source. Not just because they like to swim and they're comfortable in the water, but that's part of how they function. So if you, can, if you can have some sort of water source like a pond and put some fish in there and you've got the right crops around the pond, you will have very, very healthy ducks. Um, and then the other uh, livestock on, on, the, on the property will help as well. Um, this person wrote about how they uh, utilize pigeons uh, and they, you know, they keep them simply to put into, uh, or to put into stews. Um, personally, you know, if I'm going to go that route, uh, I, I prefer quail. They, they taste much better than a pigeon. Um, I, I do, I enjoy a good quail hunt. Um, the people that I know that I go on quail hunts, they actually have quail pens on their farm. Um, so you have that. Uh, the next thing they talked about was goats. 
Uh, goats don't like grass, they said. They prefer weeds, leaves, bark, and will nibble on forest debris before they lay into your grass. This makes them great uh, livestock animals to keep on ranches that don't have pasture. Goats provide nutritious milk that has an ideal fat content for making cheese. And goats taste pretty much like sheep. So if you like lamb chops, goats are a great alternative. Uh, you also don't have to shear them kind of like, like the sheep. So um, Goats will produce uh, offspring three times in 24 months. And most ewes will have twins. Your flock can theoretically increase from six ewes to 42 in two years. That's a lot of goats. Um, this person recommends having a small flock of seinen and boar goats. Um, the next one on their list was rabbits. It's about the only thing you can keep <laughs> in a suburban or urban setting because they don't make any freaking noise. Um, they're a great source of protein. Uh, Californian and New Zealand are two breeds of rabbits that you should consider. They breed like rabbits, grow fast, and can provide a highly nutritious meal. Um, what this person likes about rabbits is that they prefer to live in really small and enclosed spaces. Rabbits don't need to roam and are perfectly content when kept in small cages. Um, you can use the rabbit poop as fertilizer. Um, And that's that article. And the other one was all about rabbits. Um, I found this one and then I went to go find the other one because I knew I had seen them. Um, basically, the benefits of raising rabbits. They're sociable. Uh, they have garden-ready manure. That's what I was looking for. Rabbit droppings are cold, which means that they can go directly onto the land without composting it. Uh, research conducted by Michigan State University found that rabbit manure is full of potassium, phosphorus, nitrogen, cobalt, copper, sulfur, manganese, zinc, boron, magnesium, calcium, and many other micronutrients and minerals that are exceptionally beneficial for growing vegetables and plants. Um, one of the other things that they mentioned is how inexpensive rabbits are um, in terms of uh, of their upkeep. So, uh, you know, except excluding the cost of buying feeders, cages, water bottles, and other equipment required to care for rabbits, they're relatively cheap to raise. You can even grow most of their food. Your feeding bill will go up during the winter months, but you can't grow as, when you can't grow as much, but the price is still relatively low. Uh, rabbits will make you money. Whether you're breeding rabbits for m meat, wool, or you're selling bunnies, you can make a very decent living with rabbits. I don't know about that. Maybe if you're more rural. But um, the New Zealand Whites, uh, these are the most popular rabbits for meat. They weigh 9 to 12 pounds. California Rabbits are basically a cross between the New Zealand White and the Chinchilla. And they're a stocky breed and they weigh between 8 and 12 pounds. Uh, the American Chinchilla. Chefs worldwide have a preference for cooking and smoking this rabbit meat. Adult chinchillas don't weigh any more than nine pounds. Um, so the, the you can tell the difference between a California and um, a New Zealand. The New Zealand whites are all white. A California um, rabbit is all white except for a black nose and black ears. Uh, the American chinchilla is your gray rabbits. Uh, Flemish giants. Uh, these rabbits love to eat and will cost you slightly more to feed them, but they are called giants for a reason and weigh up to 20 pounds. Good Lord. That's mostly a brown rabbit. Okay. These rab uh, Rex rabbits. Uh, these rabbits have the most splendid thick fur is typically used for making linings and outerwear. Uh, this one looks like a, a, what's that horse breed? Oh, the one that has all the spots on it. Anyway, that's what that one looks like. Silver foxes are mostly black uh, with uh, silver uh, highlighting around their midsection and uh, their snout. Um, they're rare. But homesteaders like them because they weigh between 10 and 12 pounds. Um, 
so that's what I want to talk about. I wanted to talk about different types of, of small livestock, um, you know, with the biggest one being goats. Um, you, you know, if you are going to have goats, you know, you, you need to know that they like to jump on stuff. They like to climb things. So, um, you know, you're definitely going to want a high fence uh, to keep them wherever you want them to be. I mean, if you're going to let them roam, then, you know, free graze, uh, free range, I should say, uh, then by all means you should do that, but there, there's got to be some clear boundaries because they're just going to jump over them. Um, so that's what I had for you today. And um, next week we're going we're gonna to talk about um, the Convention of States and H.R. Uh, uh, 127. That's what I want to talk about. Convention of States and H.R. 127. Not necessarily preparedness topics. Um, but I, I, I want to talk about those because those are important. So, um, yeah, that's it. We, I, I did, I, I, I think I did a good job of curtailing my jackassery minute. Um, uh, I didn't keep it as short as I wanted to, but, um, I did cut myself off. So, <laughs> cause I could have talked for hours about that installed administration, but, um, well, that's another week for you, so, uh, we'll talk more about some of the stuff that's going on and all of the different landmines the, uh, the administration keeps stepping on, and, and the ones that they keep stepping on, so, uh, everybody have a good weekend, and we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. Happy Hunger Games, and... May the odds be ever in your favor.